What's up, Crave? Hey. You guys awake? You good? Hi. Caden, nice to see you. Uh, it's good to see all of you. Thank you for being here today for part two of our series, The Gospel And. Last week we talked about the gospel and race, and today we're going to talk about the gospel and justice. But before we start talking about justice, we have to back up, we have to start with the gospel. And yes, I wanted to talk about racial tension last week, and yes, I want to talk about justice this week, but this is a great chance for us to focus on what matters most, which is the gospel. And sometimes I'm afraid we take it for granted because we've heard it over and over and over again if we've grown up in church. But we can't look past that which is most essential, the gospel. And so just to speak this truth over you, I think it's worthwhile to just remind you about Jesus and the fact that he came to earth, he was fully God, became fully man, lived a perfect sinless life, did not deserve to be killed, and yet he was, to pay the ransom for sin. After three days in the grave, he rose from the dead, he ascended to the Father, and one day he will return to establish an eternal, incorruptible kingdom. That is good news. That should fill you with hope and with joy and a longing for what is to come. The Bible speaks about our world, the earth itself, groaning and longing for the restoration that will come in Christ. And too often I think we're just like, yeah, Jesus, he's coming again. But we don't think it'll really happen in our lifetime. We don't really think that that's something we're going to have to deal with. And the reality is we don't know. Jesus could come back at any moment, and I, I look forward to that. He is coming again. The gospel should influence everything about who we are, that looking forward to that, but while we wait, living for him. I've got this book. Uh, it's by a pastor out in uh, Washington State. His name's Jeff Vanderstelt. The book's called Gospel Fluency. He talks all about how we learn to live and speak the gospel in the everyday mundane pieces of our life. And he says this in the second chapter. He says that Jesus purchased our lives so that they would display his pure, holy, selfless, unadulterated love for us. You see, your salvation is not just about you going to heaven one day. Your life in Christ is about pointing others to him and glorifying him while you're here on earth. That's the whole point of the gospel. I want to look just at a couple of verses tonight that really uh, point to the gospel, but then they also turn around and they show us uh, our, our place when it comes to justice. So we'll put that on the screen for you. It's Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. These are pretty common verses. You've probably heard them before says this, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Let's stop right there for a second. These first two verses are telling you, God saved you by his grace. He is the initiator and perfecter of our faith. That's from Hebrews. God begins to work something inside of us. It's not about how good you were or how many good deeds you did that saved you. God said, you know what? I love you. I'm going to choose to begin to stir my spirit within you to save you. That is the gospel. You can't brag about it. You are not better than someone who's lost. You are fortunate. You are blessed. You have been shown God's grace. And these two verses are beautiful. But verse 10, I would tell you, circle, highlight, underline. It's, it's wonderful. It says, we are God's masterpiece. 
He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. Why? So we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. He didn't create you anew just for your benefit, not just so you can spend eternity in the house of the Father, but so you could do these good things he prepared for you long ago. I hope you know this about your life, but it's, it's not haphazard. It's not on accident. It doesn't just kind of come together by happenstance. God had a plan for your life long ago. Before you even lived a single day, he knew every single moment of every single day. And if you are a Christ follower, and I've got to believe that many people sitting here would say, yeah, I follow Jesus. If you are a Christ follower, a believer, a brother or sister in Christ, God has a mission for you to live out the gospel here on this earth. Now, I want to make this very clear. We're going to put it up for you in an illustration. Your good deeds do not equal salvation. You cannot do enough good things to become a Christian. That's not how it works. There's not some cosmic scale, right, where if you do enough justice, you, you live righteously enough that you become a Christian. That's not the gospel. It's grace by faith alone. But don't miss verse 10 there in Ephesians 2. It says that we were created for these good deeds. So when you have experienced salvation, it leads to good deeds. The good deeds don't save you. But as a Christ follower, there are things you should be doing. And I'm afraid too often what we hear in church is, don't do that. Thou shalt not. Whoop, don't go over there. Don't. But the reality is following Jesus is about a lot more than just not doing bad things, right? And maybe you've heard that your whole life in youth group, in church, but it's more than that. There are things Jesus wants you to be doing. He wants you to be active and engaging in advancing his kingdom. So it's not the good deeds that save you, but because you're saved, we live out good deeds, right? So with that in mind, we come to this topic of justice. And I have to ask you a question as we, as we get ready to dive into this. How many of you have ever been given a task to write a paper and you thought, there's no way I can hit the assigned length? Like maybe it was a five-page paper and you thought, there's no way I can do this. Anybody just show of hands. There's no way I can hit this mark. It's impossible to write a paper this long. Okay, look around the room. You're not alone. Okay, now I want you to, I'm going to need you to believe me on this because I promise you this can happen to you one day. I was just like you guys. I knew all the tricks, man. You could turn the ink, you know, on the computer like white and you could just type to get, you know, more space or you could, you know, make your font slightly larger. I knew all those tricks. But when I got to college, what I realized is the real, the real hard thing is not hitting that minimum threshold. What I realize is when you are passionate about something, when you're really invested in something, it's hard to actually cap yourself. So, for instance, when I was a senior, I had to write a 25-page paper. <laughs> Somebody was like, oh, 25-page paper about uh, redemption, about Jesus on the cross. And you're like, dude, how in the world did you write 25 pages? It's just John 3.16, the end, right? No. What I found, the more I researched is it, I had to cut to get down to 25 pages. I promise you. I promise you. I have that paper. I can show it to you. Why do I say all that? Because tonight as we talk about justice, I want you to know there were so many verses this week. Like it was difficult for me to choose. No, do justice. The end. No, 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 no. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of verses. And I'll put some of them on Instagram this week. Jeremiah 22, 3, Psalm 97, 2, Isaiah 1, 17, Leviticus 19, 15, Proverbs 22, 18, 1 Corinthians 13, 6. Like, I wanted to unpack all of those. We just don't have time. 
I will, like I said, I'll put those references up for you later this week on our social media. But I did choose a few passages that I want us to look at. And the first is Amos chapter 5. Now, Amos is not a book that probably you've spent an extensive amount of time in your quiet time, right? Like, Amos, what, like, who is this guy? What is he about? Do some research. He's a pretty interesting guy. But Amos chapter 5, I, I just want to read you these four verses. I think they're convicting. I think they're wonderful. I think they will help us to, to think rightly about justice. This is God speaking through the prophet to his people, church people. This is not God speaking to those people out there. This is God talking to his people in here. And this is what he says. I hate all of your show and your pretense, the hypocrisy of your religious festivals and your solemn assemblies. I will not accept your burnt offerings and your grain offerings. I won't even notice all of your choice peace offerings. Away with your noisy hymns of praise. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Stop right there. This is God saying to those who would claim to follow him, you're fake. You're fake. And I don't want anything to do with it. Look at the things he's saying. I hate how you put on a front. You try to act this type of way when you come into my temple. You try to come in here and sing, and you want to give offerings, and you want to make a big spectacle, but your heart is far from me, and I'm not interested in your being fake. That's a sobering couple of verses right there because, yes, God is speaking thousands of years ago through Amos to a certain people at a certain time, but this verse is still applicable to us. God is not interested in you coming in here to crave or big church on Sunday morning and acting like you've got it all together and acting like you know you're so spiritual, right? Like you learn all the lyrics, you can close your eyes, you can raise your hands, right? Or maybe you're an out here person, I don't know how you do, maybe you're down here. You're not going to heaven because you know all the lyrics and you can close your eyes and raise your hands. God says, I'm not interested in your show, I'm not interested in your facade. 1 Samuel 16, 7 actually says, I look at the heart. I don't look at all the outside stuff. I look at what's going on inside. But here's my point. You're going to remember this happened. And what I want you to know is if you come in here to crave and you play a game and, like, you know how to recite the Bible verses and how to talk a certain kind of way, and we all do, right? Like, we all talk around grandma one way and we talk around our friends a different way. You know what I'm talking about. If you said the things around grandma, you say around your friends, grandma's going to slap you and not give you any more cookies. So we know how to kind of slide in and out of our different groups. And some of you, and I say this in love, I'm speaking truth in love. Some of you come in here and you're just fake. And you're not impressing me like whoop-de-doo, I'm nobody. You're not impressing your small group leaders or your peers. Like who cares? You are going to stand one day, not before me, not before your small group, but before Jesus. And what he says is, I don't care that you put on a good show. What does he care about? Look at that last verse. Instead, I want to see a mighty flood of justice, an endless river of righteous living. Can I translate this for you? Hey, stop being fake and go be real about following me. Love me with your life. Not that you can be righteous on your own. Remember what we started with, grace by faith. But we live out of that grace and we show it to others. So as we think about justice, we have to start with what do we mean when we say that, right? Now, I want to tell you something that you know. Words matter. Like, you know that. 
Words matter. The things you say matter. And the more serious a conversation we're having, the more the words matter, right? So if you're talking about something kind of silly, right? You're talking about fantasy football with your boys out there in the lobby, how your team's getting crushed. Doesn't matter. But if you're going to sit here and talk about some biblical truth, you've got to kind of pick and choose your words. And as you're talking about justice, we have to know what we mean. And here's what I would tell you. Some of you heard we're talking about justice and we're going to talk a little bit about social justice. And maybe you've heard that. You're like, oh, social justice. Let me just let me back up. I don't want to be a part of that. Make sure you understand what somebody's saying when you hear them talking. Let me, let me phrase it to you this way. Define your terms more than you define people. I'm going to say that again because I thought it was really good. Maybe you didn't, but it just kind of came to me. Define your terms more than you define people, meaning make sure you understand what you're talking about because you could say one thing and mean it this kind of way, and this person could say the same thing and mean it a completely different way. And what you'll do is you'll write them off and you'll define them as a crazy person or you're way out there. Or you're... Why don't you just have a conversation and say, hey, what, when you say that, what do you mean? Help me understand. Those are three of the best words that will help you as you try to be an ambassador of Christ. Hey, help me understand. When you say that term, what, like, what do you mean? Now, I'm going to save you some of the heavy lifting, but I encourage you to go back and look for yourself. Justice is a term that shows up in the Bible 200 plus times. And there are actually two different words that, that show up as justice. And I, my language skills are weak. Like You see how I handle English. But uh, there's a word called mishpat and a word called zedekah. And I, 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 that sounded like Klingon. But the one means equitable and fair treatment of others, and the other one means, means to be just, right? So justice and to be just, like that's helpful, right? And over three dozen times, those two words come together, and they speak of living in a just manner and the caring for of others. And so I did a lot of research this week. I got into the Hebrew, even though I kind of struggled with the pronunciation there, and I put this definition together for you, and this is what we're going to work with tonight. Okay, let's put it up on the screen. This is how we're going to define justice. Treating people equitably, working for systems and structures that are fair, and looking out for the weak and vulnerable. Treating people equal. We talked about that last week. Everybody is made in the image of God. So to truly live a just life means to treat everybody the same, fair. Do we do that? Not just in the world. The world is broken. Some of this is broken in our world. We know that. Are you treating people equally? Are you working for systems and structures that are fair? Or are you content to stay on top if it's easy for you? Are we looking out for the weak and vulnerable? Or are we just looking out for ourselves? And I'll tell you, it starts in this room. We're supposed to be looking out for each other. Like when I use that term faith family, I mean that. This shouldn't just be a place we come up here and we kind of go through the motions and what happens is it just gets kind of stale. Oh, yeah. If you can truly grasp Christian community, faith, family, think about your family. The people that know you best, you know them best, you love them. There's nothing you wouldn't do for them. Faith family should be that same kind of way. Look at what Paul says in Galatians 6, 10. He says, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity... We should do good to everyone. I think we're going to put it up on the screen. Galatians 6.10. Yeah, we're going to do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. So don't miss this. We should do good. We should live righteously and, and practice justice for everybody. But, man, it starts in this room. 
If you call yourself a Christ follower, you have more in common with a Christ follower of the opposite gender, a different race, and a different age, living down in a hut in a jungle somewhere. You have more in common with that person than you do with the person you sit beside in class every day who looks like you, dresses like you, thinks like you, plays on your team, works at your job. But they're not a Christ follower. The ultimate commonality is following Jesus. And so we look out for each other. But we also do justice and righteousness and good works to those outside of our family of faith. It starts in here. Y'all should be looking out for each other at Malden, at J.O. Mann, at, at wherever you are. Hillcrest, Wade Hampton, Southside Christian, homeschool, virtual school, whatever kind of school. Y'all should be looking out for each other. You know what matters more than your school mascot or your team's record is that you're following Christ. So we look for those opportunities. Now, we're going to have one primary passage, for tonight, and again, I had to limit myself. If you've got a Bible, turn to Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25. I would tell you this is kind of the magnum opus. This is, this is the crowning moment of justice in the Bible. And if you're super interested in the end times and what is it going to be like, this is a great passage for you to check out. But I also have to warn you, this passage is, is serious. It's heavy. It can be quite sobering. This is Jesus, towards the end of his public ministry, sharing about what things are going to be like in the end. Now, I've got up here Matthew 25, 31 through 46. We don't have time to unpack every single one of those verses. So I'm going to paraphrase parts, and then I'm going to read some parts to you. Jesus starts off, he says this in verse 31, When the Son of Man comes again in his glory, because again, he is coming back. That's good news. And all the angels with him. He'll sit on his glorious throne, and all the nations will be gathered in his presence. And he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So Jesus is speaking of, hey, this is, this is the end. This is like for real, for real, the end. And he's going to separate sheep on the right, goats on the left. And he's going to start over here with these goats. And he's going to say some rather harsh things to them. He's going to say... Excuse me, he starts with the sheep. He's going to start with the sheep and say some good things. Come, this is verse 34, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you invited me into your home. I was naked, you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And these people are going to say to Jesus, what are you even talking about? Jesus, we never saw you in any of these scenarios where you were downtrodden, where you were cast out, where you had nobody, where you were vulnerable. And Jesus is going to say on that day, when you did it for the least of these, you did it for me. When you visited that person who was sick, when you showed kindness to the outsider, when you went out of your way to be gracious to that person that no one had been gracious to for years and years and years, you were doing it for me. That's a powerful thought. Don't miss that everybody you encounter is stamped with the image of Christ. And when we are showing righteousness and justice and grace and mercy and love and compassion to those people, we're doing the same for Christ. But then he's going to turn over here to the goats and he's going to say, hey, listen, uh, you missed it. And you have to depart from me into a place where there's weeping, and there's deep remorse and deep sadness because 
When I was sick, you didn't visit me. When I was in prison, you left me abandoned. When I was trampled and cast out and marginalized, you paid no attention. And they're confused because they say, Jesus, we never, Jesus, if we saw you, Jesus, Jesus, if I'd have seen you standing up off the side of the interstate holding that sign, Jesus, surely I'd have done something. Jesus, if I'd have seen you hanging out underneath the bridge downtown, for sure, Jesus, I would have done something to help you. Jesus, if I would have seen you sitting by yourself at a lunch table with no friends day after day after day, Jesus, I'd have done something. Jesus, if I'd have seen you standing outside a crave with nobody to talk to, by, my, by yourself in a corner on your phone, I'd have come and talked to you. And Jesus says, hey, when you ignored other people who were in those scenarios, you ignored me. And it's easy to use that language, right, in prison. I don't know anybody in prison. Sick. Everybody I know is pretty healthy. But there are people that you encounter in your life who are the least of these, who are cast out. They're not valued the same as everybody else for a lot of different reasons, for how they look, for how they talk, for how good they are at sports, for how smart they are or not smart they are. And those people can get kind of pushed off to the side. And whether anybody ever says it to them out loud, what they hear is, I don't matter. And I use that example of here at Crave because, again, it should be different here. When I walk through out in that lobby or down at South Campus and I see us clicked up just talking to the people who are just like us, and there are new people or, God forbid, even people who have been here for years, and all they know what to do is just stand in the corner on their phone or look down over here at a table by themselves because nobody has shown them any kindness or compassion or welcomed them. And you can hear me getting emotional because it makes me mad and it makes me sad at the same time. There have been people who have come through here and I get emails from parents and they say, hey, we're never coming back because nobody connected with my kid. Almost nothing breaks my heart as much as that because I feel like I failed and I have. But that's on us. And it's not just here at Crave. It is in your schools and it is in your communities. And it takes a lot of different forms and fashions. There are people who are downtrodden and feel like there's nobody to fight for them the bible talks about the widow and the orphan the widow and the orphan dozens of times why because a widow had no standing in society and nobody to fight for her and orphans were even worse off now i'm going a little long and you got to bear with me this past week i got a text message from a friend a guy i went to north greenville with he was a pastor on staff at a church out in texas named kenny comstock Got into a car accident. His wife, Melissa, was in the car with him as well as his three children, six, four, and one. Kenny was pronounced dead on the scene, and Melissa died at the hospital. They got three little kids. And I'm not trying to emotionally manipulate you, but hear me say this. None of us would leave those kids without, right? Like, we wouldn't just let them be in the street with nothing. Of course not. And I know Kenny's family. I know they're going to take care of those kids. But for every tragic story like that, there's a hundred you don't know about. And it could be somebody sitting right beside you here tonight who is hurting and just needs somebody to step up in the name of Jesus and love them well. That's what it means to live righteously, to do justice. It's to stop being so focused on ourselves 
and just the people who are like us and think like us and act like us and do like us. And look out for the least of these. Look out for the little guy. Some of you have been the little guy. Some of you are that person who sits by yourself at lunch every day, and it hurts. I was that person. It's hard. And I am saying to you, Christ follower, it's up to us to go and to love those people well. Maybe stop trying to define them and figure out what mistakes they made that led them to that place and just figure out, God, how can I love this person well? God, would you help me to understand their hurt? Because there's things that go on to other people that we just don't understand. What would would it look like if we just went to somebody and said, hey, I don't know what it's like to be in your shoes, but I want to try to understand more. How powerful would that be for that person? You could be the first person to ever speak to them that way. What an attractive thing for them to realize that it's because you love Jesus that you have come and loved them. To bring it home, again, I'll I'll hit you with this one final verse. It comes from Micah 6.8. This is kind of like the crown jewel justice verse. Like everybody probably knows this one. You see this one on billboards on the side of the road sometimes. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. Look at that verse a second time. And just ask yourself, Is this me? Am I living justly? Am I pursuing equitable treatment of all systems and structures that are fair for everybody? And when I encounter them, because let's be real, they're out there, do I do anything or do I just let that pass me by because, hey, I want to play it safe and look out for number one? Do I love kindness? Do I show that to anybody ever? Do I walk humbly with God? That's my prayer for you, that you would live justly, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. Let me pray for you. God, I pray God, I pray that you would break our hearts for what breaks yours, that we wouldn't be so consumed with self, that we would understand that you have called us to something bigger than ourselves that you have good works, good deeds, justice for us to live out that you prepared long ago. God, help us to be less focused on just getting to heaven one day and help us to see how we can advance your kingdom this day. We love you. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.